with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 396, a.k.a. Year 8, Week 24, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Richie Rich, doing another solo show, still waiting on MC to return from his vacation uh, and rejoin us here on the broadcast, uh, which is not a broadcast, because I don't broadcast when I'm doing the solo show. Uh, Too much brain energy to do everything. I just sit here, read the news, take little breaks, if and when I feel like it, and then cobble it all together uh, to give you one long final show at the end there. But as always, when I'm doing this thing alone, um, it's hard to have a conversation with myself. Uh, so we just we just read the news and see where, where the conversation leads us. So we'll get into that. Uh, yeah, headlines. Uh, special headline. I'm going to say special headline. Um, usually, usually I provide all the all the headlines for the show. Um, rarely, rarely does MC or KS, uh, come with specific headlines. They may come with things they want to talk about, but I, I find most of the headlines on my own. Um, but this one, since it was provided to us by a user in the telegram group, uh, DT, maybe a listener, maybe not, who cares? Uh, I figured as long as we're getting, you know, fan contributions of some kind, we'll go ahead and do this headline. Uh, so headline from DT, Facebook hired. X CIA FBI agents to censor content that deviates from official narrative. Uh, website childrenshealthdefense.org. And so, you know, never heard of it. So take it with a grain of salt, but we'll do it anyway. Uh, so many ex government workers are now employed by Facebook that it's difficult to view Meta as a private company instead of a government partner, intent on silencing anyone who speaks out against the official narrative. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg has stated that Facebook's values are based on the American tradition of free expression. Yet censorship on social media has gone mainstream as part of the campaign to control what you see online and therefore what you think and how you perceive reality. In an official Facebook video, a Meta employee identified as Aaron states that he is the manager of the team that writes the rules for Facebook, deciding what is acceptable and what is not. These gatekeepers effectively dictate what the platform's 2.9 billion active users see when they're scrolling their feeds. In all, 40,000 individuals are part of Facebook's content moderation staff, yielding incredible power over public information. Writing for Mint Press News, journalist Alan McLeod explains, It is here where decisions about what content is allowed, what will be promoted, and who or what will be suppressed are made. These decisions affect what news and information billions of people across the world see every day. Therefore, those in charge of the algorithms hold far more power and influence over the public sphere than even editors at the largest news outlets. But according to McLeod's Mint Press investigation, many of the people in charge of moderating content at Facebook have been recruited from the government, 
including the Central Intelligence Agency, FBI and DOD, to the extent that, he says, some might feel it becomes difficult to see where the U.S. national security state ends and Facebook begins. Aaron is CIA. Facebook employee Aaron, featured in the marketing video, formerly worked for the CIA up until July 2019, though this isn't disclosed by Facebook, according to McLeod. In his 15-year career, Aaron Berman rose to become a highly influential part of the CIA. For years, he prepared and edited the President of the United States' daily brief, writing and overseeing intelligence analysis to enable the President and senior U.S. officials to make decisions on the most crucial or critical national security issues, especially on the impact of influence operations on social movement, security, and democracy, his LinkedIn profile reads. None of this is mentioned in the Facebook video. Meta is teaming with ex-government agents. Berman is not the only CIA ex-CIA agent working at Facebook. Far from it. So many ex-government workers are now employed by Facebook that it's difficult to view Meta as a private company instead of a government partner intent on silencing anyone who speaks out against the official narrative. McLeod's investigation, for, instru- for instance, uncovered the following ex-CIA agents at Facebook. Deborah Berman, a trust and safety project manager for Meta, was an intelligence analyst at the CIA for 10 years. Brian Weisbart, now a director of trust and safety, security, and data privacy for Meta, worked as a CIA intelligence officer for uh, 2006 to 2010 before becoming a diplomat. While at the CIA, his job involved leading global teams to conduct counterterrorism and digital cyber investigations and identifying online social media misinformation, propaganda, and covert influence campaigns. Cameron Harris, a trust and safety project manager at Meta, was a CIA analyst until 2019. Former members of other government agencies are also common at Meta, McLeod revealed. Uh, Emily Vatcher, who Facebook Meta recruited to be director of trust and safety, worked at the FBI from 2001 to 2011, becoming a supervisory special agent. Mike Bradow, employed as a misinformation policy manager at Meta since 2020, worked for the U.S. Agency for International Development from 2010 to 2020. Uh, USAID is a U.S. government-funded influence organization which has bankrolled or staged managed multiple regime change operations abroad, including Venezuela in 2002, Cuba in 2021, and ongoing attempts in Nicaragua, McLeod noted. Neil Potts, Facebook Vice President of Safety and Trust, or of Trust and Safety, is a former intelligence officer with the United States Marine Corps. Sharif Kamal, Trust and Safety Program Manager at Meta, worked as a program manager at the Pentagon until 2020. Joey Chan, Trust and Safety Program Manager at Meta, worked as a commanding officer for the U.S. Army until 2021, where he oversaw more than 100 troops in the Asia-Pacific region. Ex-intelligence officers in control of what you see. Meta is appearing increasingly like another branch of government put in place to mold the views of society. As with a workforce composed of ex-intelligent agents, it's difficult, if not impossible, to remain impartial. McLeod wrote, Hiring so many ex-U.S. state officials to run Facebook's most politically sensitive operation raises troubling questions about the company's impartiality and its proximity to government power. Meta is so full of national security state agents that at some point it almost becomes more difficult to find individuals in trust and safety who are not formerly agents of the state. Despite its efforts to brand itself as a progressive, woke organization, the Central Intelligence Agency remains deeply controversial. 
It has been charged with overthrowing or attempting to overthrow numerous foreign governments, some of them democratically elected, helping prominent Nazis escape punishment after World War II, funding large quantities of drugs and weapons around the world, penetrating domestic media outlets, routinely spreading false information and operating a global network of black sites where prisoners are repeatedly tortured. Therefore, critics argue that putting operatives from this organization in control of our news feed is deeply inappropriate. The CIA has a history of controlling corruption. For instance, U.S. intelligence agencies kept watch on Ukraine nationalist organizations as a source of counterintelligence against the Soviet Union. Declassified CIA documents show close ties between U.S. intelligence and Ukrainian nationalists since 1946. After World War II, Stepan Bandera, the leader of the most radical section of the Organization of Ukraine Nationalists, which was founded in 1929 and had the ultimate goal of creating an ethnically pure, independent Ukraine and other Ukrainian Nazi leaders fled to Europe, the CIA helped protect them. The CIA later informed the Immigration and Naturalization Service that it had concealed Bandera and other Ukrainians from the Soviets. While the Nuremberg trials brought justice to the leaders of fascist Germany, the Ukrainian Nazis were spared the same fate, and some were even granted indulgences by the CIA. According to the film Ukraine on Fire, by 1951, the agency, the CIA, excused the illegal activities of the OUN's security branches in the name of Cold War necessity. In another disturbing example, one of the first scientists assigned to Fort Detrick's secret biological warfare laboratory during World War II was bioweapons expert Frank Olson. In 1953, Olson died after plummeting to the ground from a high-rise hotel window in Manhattan. Days earlier, he had been secretly drugged by the CIA, which claimed Olson's death was a suicide. Decades later, however, it was revealed that Olson didn't jump from the window. He was deliberately murdered after the CIA became concerned he might reveal disturbing top-secret operations. This includes the CIA's top-secret MKUltra project, which engaged in mind-control experiments, human torture, and other medical studies, including how much LSD it would take to shatter the mind and blast away consciousness. Controlling the media is the CIA's dream. The collusion of the media with government agencies is nothing new. In January 1977, Washington Post reporter Carl Bernstein's 25,000-word article was published in Rolling Stones detailing the close relationship between the CIA and the press. Bernstein described full-time CIA agents who worked as journalists and more than 400 U.S. journalists who secretly carried out assignments for the CIA over a 25-year period. The program was known as Operation Mockingbird and involved the CIA paying journalists to write fake stories and spread pop propaganda instead of real news. Activist Post added, implementing a fact-checking solution that is centralized mechanism powered by journalists they could easily control is certainly the CIA's dream. As a CIA director was once quoted stating that once the public's perception is confused about what is real and what is propaganda, then their mission would be complete. Now you might think that the CIA owning journalists is conspiratorial, but it happened with MKUltra's Operation Mockingbird. As further noted by the Monthly Review, the situation has only gotten worse, as evidenced by the steady stream of ex-CIA CIA agents, I'll get that right at some point, now heading up policy and content moderation at Facebook. The CIA used to infiltrate the media, now the CIA is the media. The news outlet noted, adding, Back in the good old days, when things were more innocent and simple, the psychopathic Central Intelligence Agency had to covertly infiltrate the news media to manipulate the information Americans were consuming about their nation and the world. Nowadays, there's no meaningful separation between news media and the CIA at all. 
social media infiltrated by government agencies. To be clear, it's not only Facebook that's relying on former CIA agents to decide what you can see. Other social media giants are similarly affected, employing individuals from, multiple, from a multitude of government agencies. In previous investigations, McLeod wrote, this author has detailed how TikTok is flooded with NATO officials, how former FBI agents abound at Twitter, and how Reddit is led by former war planners for the NATO think tank, the Atlantic Council. However, he says the sheer scale of infiltration on Facebook blows these away. Facebook, in short, is utterly swarming with spooks. What does this mean for the information you see on a daily basis, assuming you're one of the billions who take a peek or two at Facebook during the day? McLeod explained, The problem is that having so many former CIA agents running the world's most important information and news platform is only one small step removed from the agency itself deciding what you see and what you do not see online, and all with essentially no public oversight. In this sense, this arrangement constitutes the best of both worlds for Washington. They can assert significant influence over global news and information flows, but maintain some veneer of plausible deniability. The U.S. government does not need to directly tell Facebook what policies to enact. This is because the people in decision-making positions are inordinately those who rose to the ranks of the national security state beforehand, meaning their outlook matches those of Washington's. And if Facebook does not play ball, quiet threats about regulation or breaking up the company's enormous monopoly can also achieve the desired outcomes. Uh, originally published on Dr. McCullough's Substack page, so there's, there's your source of the information, end of the article. Now, a few things come to mind uh, as I read this, and I will try to consolidate as we branch through each line of thought. Uh, the first thing is, you know, something that I, I, was, I covered here last week, and have shared with others as well, and that is um, stop referring to the mainstream media as the mainstream media and instead refer to them as the United States-sponsored propaganda you know, firm or, or media outlet, right? Because any time I read a foreign, a foreign article or a U.S. article about foreign media sources, it's always state the Russian state-sponsored media outlet or the Korean state-sponsored media outlet. And it's all these things that put in your mind uh, that what, what they're sharing is propaganda, right? Oh, if, if it's coming from the Russian state-sponsored media outlet, then of course it's going to be pro-Russian. If it's coming out of the North Korean-sponsored media outlet, then of course it's going to be pro-North Korea. Uh, but at the same time, with, with you know, n- this article notwithstanding, um, it seems to be relatively well-known amongst those with any sort of intelligence uh, that what you're getting fed by the mainstream media is a heap and hopping full of propaganda. And so rather than call it the mainstream media or, you know, cable news or, you know, what newspapers, is, you know, whatever it is, it's United States sponsored media, right? That's what it is. They, they're the ones who are uh, allowing, you know, I, and, and I get it, you know, the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, yada, yada, yada. Um, and that doesn't stop, like, the alternate media from rising up, right? Like, there's no, there's no prohibitions on the alternate media. Uh, but that mainstream stuff is definitely state-sponsored, you know, you, you, can't, you can't find an unbiased opinion anywhere. It's just which direction are they trying to bias you. And a lot of times, um, like many puppet masters do, 
a different media outlet biases one way and the other media outlet biases the other way and they get people fighting amongst themselves instead of fighting against the state. So it's not surprising, right, that there would be state-sponsored media on Facebook or Twitter or any of the other big social media sites, right? Google, if you, you type in a search result on Google and that, that shit is filtered through Google's algorithm, same with Yahoo, same with Bing, same with anything else, right? Even, even DuckDuckGo, right? The, the privacy-centric DuckDuckGo got in some hot water several months ago um, for, for, you know, for tracking, right? Like, you know, they, well, we don't do that here. And then apparently they did or what, you know, whatever that news story was at the time. So there's always, there's always going to be a filter. And I guess for those who pay attention, right, where do you filter your news? Like when, when I do, um, you know, there, there's a relatively consistent source of news for the show prep that I bring uh, to this show. And I, I, I do different show prep uh, for Free Talk Live. So that's, you know, goes with, that's notwithstanding. Um, but I, I go to the places that I trust, you know, and does that mean that's the only thing I read? No, it's not. But that's, that's the ones where I like, you know, like this site, you know, the, the children's health org. never heard of it. Might check it out after this, see what else they have. And if it seems credible, uh, then it, then it might go into the hopper, right. And see what else they can bring to the table. Um, but rarely, if ever, do I bring, articles from the mainstream media why because i know it's filtered through this lens through the, through this you know pro-american pro-democracy lens um and even when i listen to other other podcasts whether they're tech podcasts or political podcasts or whatever it happens to be uh, you you can tell that there is a bias and one of the difficulties with presenting those biased opinions at least to my view um is you have to be right about things and so if you, if, if you would express an opinion on something that other people not just disagree with, but have substantial facts to back it, right, then you lose credibility across the board. And it's amazing that with all the, you know, with, with all the conflicts out there, um, that that doesn't happen more often. So I was, I was listening to a podcast uh, throughout the week. And someone came on and he was, you know, talking about, uh, the, the, you know, the contradictions in the Koran, right? And, and then he brought up the fact that as, as far as I can tell, there are no contradictions in the Christian Bible, you know, and all right. So clearly, clearly wrong, clearly not research, clearly just, you know, spouting off nonsense. Um, and this came up a few weeks ago, like in a private conversation. I don't remember how that conversation got started, but I go like, well, just go to like the skeptics annotated Bible online like ooh, what's that it just lists like you take your favorite bible passages and, and it lists you know all the the conflicting passages elsewhere in that book so any anything that you, you know that's the 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 beauty of that book is that you can you can basically use it to defend whatever position you want because there's a passage on both sides all the way through that goddamn thing so it loses a little bit of credibility when you start spouting that stuff off so when I look at you know mainstream media or state-sponsored propaganda, um, I I just don't listen. I don't view it. Uh, I haven't used Facebook uh, for anything other than like fucking doom scrolling uh, when I'm on the john or when I can't sleep. Right? I don't I, I I don't read any news on there. I don't look at it as a valuable source of information. 
Uh, it's basically, you know, a mind-numbing distraction to shut my brain off in some form or fashion. So if you're still getting your news from Facebook, uh, well, there's your fucking problem right there, you know. Get some better news sources and get off of it. And I don't even care, you know, if it has the network effect. Um, and and there are other people more hardcore than me about this, right? Like, they, they just refuse to ever get on Facebook. And I go, well, it serves a purpose if you use it right. And I still maintain that, right? Like, there are, there are people on Facebook that that's the only way I have to communicate with them. And fine, I'm not, you know, I don't need their phone number. If I had their phone number, I would rarely use it. It doesn't need to take up space in my contacts, right? But, there, you know, it, it's, it's a means to communicate and get stuff out there, right? Like, for a while, the events planning was great. Oh, no, no, a new event in your area. Like, oh, fucking fantastic, right? I'm not, I'm not going to get that from any other, any other source. Um, but their point was, like, why would I ever give Facebook my information? I go, don't. Just fucking lie to them, you know? Like, I have, I have several friends locally, right, whose who's Facebook you know, I'm, I'm friends with an alias, right? You know, they, they use it with purpose, right? They use it to stay in contact with the community, to check out the events, to see what's being planned, uh, because that is, that is one tool that Facebook is relatively good for. And prior to that, there were message boards and calendars and following alongs and, you know, but that got, that got outpaced by the value that Facebook added in those areas, um, but we, we don't go to it for news. We don't go it to find out what's going on in the world. Uh, we go to it to find out what's going on locally for us, you know, new community member, Joe moving into town. Fine. Well, all right. Let's, you know, if you got the time, let's go meet him. Um, so I do think that Facebook has a purpose. Um, and just like, just like always, it depends on how you use it. Early in the day when Facebook was like, oh, come to my wall and play my song and look at all these games. Right, I went, well, this is dumb. Let's just use this, you know, to consolidate news. So I used, I used to use Facebook for news, but again, before the, the algorithmic takeover, right, I went to all these news sites that I still currently have, and I just subscribed to their page. So when they posted, that's what I read. Uh, when the algorithm took over and that became not what showed up on my news feed, I went back to the RSS readers, um, and I, I, you know, still use that. Like that's, that seems to be the best way to do it. Despite the fact that Google shut down Google reader, what, like close to a decade ago or whatever at this point, uh, RSS is still the best way to do it in my opinion. Um, because it's, it's collated with new sources you've picked that you trust that, that has a track record in your mind of providing valuable, truthful information. And so you just go there. So the fact that Facebook, you know, is, is providing misinformation or disinformation, uh, kind of on you, right? Like if you want, if you want to be a part of that, that's, you know, that's a choice because you can get off of Facebook. Number one, there's no forcing you to be on there yet. Um, and number two, you can use it appropriately. Like many of us already do just to just the bare minimums of staying in contact with, you know, your community or the community or whatever you want to call that. Um, and not using it for the, you know, not, not falling into the propaganda arm of things. I like, for whatever reason, the algorithm on Facebook really thinks uh, I like stand-up comedy and dad jokes. And they're right. Because when they feed me that shit, like, it's funny. And I'll watch it. Because that's what I'm doing when I'm taking a dump or trying to fall asleep. Right? Like, that's, you know, that's perfect for me. But what's going on in the world? 
uh, forget about it. Second branch of this uh, little story is it's odd. Um, like I get it. They're hiring a lot of ex government workers. And at the same time, um, good, right? Because from the anarchist, from the libertarian perspective, we're always, you know, shouting at the rooftops, like get a real job, motherfucker, you know, to, you know, to government workers, right? Like get off the welfare work and get to the private sector. Uh, and so these people have basically, you know, for the most part, I mean, we could talk about the, the public private separation as well, but Facebook private company existing within a, a, uh, consumer crony capitalist environment, but we st- we still consider it to be private. There's still there's no force from Facebook for you to use their products or their services. So it's voluntary. And as such, you know, if, if these government workers are looking looking to get the real job and enter into the private marketplace and end up at a you know the one of the biggest private companies available, uh, fucking fantastic, right? Like now now they're getting paid voluntarily which is what we want. Um, why they all choose to go there, I don't know if their previous line of work is on, in alignment with what Facebook is looking for in employees and whatever. Maybe maybe for this propaganda campaign, certainly does fit the mold. Um, but again, at the same time, fantastic, right? They, we, want, we want them to get jobs in the private sector, and at least this handful of people are. So hard to, hard to be mad at them. Now, are they going to have a change of heart? Are they going to have a change of mind? Uh, probably not. And that being said, um, this, this show exists partially because of an ex government employee who had a change of heart, right? Like, I don't think I've shared this story in, in quite some time. So I'll share it a little bit again here. Uh, this, this show spawned off of a local meetup group when I was still living in Hawaii and that meetup group preexisted me right? Like they were already meeting, um, at some point. And then on Facebook, right. I, I get a, I get a friend request, uh, and a message request from a guy whose job says like United States Navy. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? You know, I'm a little, little sketched out a little like how, you know, what's going on here. Um, turns out cool guy. Right. And as soon as he, as soon as his tour of duty was up he vacated that moved away and has his own little life and you know wife i believe you know started a couple of businesses or whatever and total private sector guy but had had his awakening while in the service and you know that is what it was um but so and uh, a military dude reaches out to me you know on facebook of all places this is like 2007 or so i don't remember i don't even remember anymore uh, but a long time ago, a long time ago, reached out to me, maybe like maybe a little after 2007, and basically said like he was trying to expand his little group, his little meetup group, and Googled like anarchist in Hawaii, and apparently my profile off of the old Complete Liberty uh, message board, you know, forum, whatever, like was the first fucking thing that popped up. And so he tracked me down through that link, through that stuff, over to Facebook and sent out the friend request. Um, maybe, it was, maybe it was closer to 2012 because, uh, yeah, maybe 2012. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, reached out to me through Facebook 2012. And because of where my headspace was at the time, I was like, well, 
let's roll with it. Let's just see. Right. I was, I was into being open to new opportunities at the time. And so I took this one and it turned out to be a, you know, a, a pretty close group of people, right? Like, you know, weekly meetups every, every Monday night down the local restaurant, just like you have in your area, just like we have here on a, on a much larger scale now. Um, but that was it. And it was, it was because of a, you know, a, a government employee at the time, right. Who had a change of heart. So I'm not saying that that's the case with these Facebook workers, but it is definitely possible um, with, within the local community here, there is uh, more than a handful of ex-military guys, uh, gals, whatever, who had their change of heart either because of the military or during the military or after the fact and, and had their, away, you know, their libertarian anarchist awakening and got away from that. And now either, again, own their own businesses or do their own thing or you know, no longer accept the state-funded paycheck by working for the government. So it is possible, you know, it is possible to, to decide for yourself that maybe the CIA isn't right for me and where, what are the, the skills that I have developed and where can those best be applied in the private sector? And quite possibly maybe Facebook is, you know, your best option. And with, you know, the biggest, the biggest company, the most value, the most wealth, uh, Apple, whatever. Um, but you get the idea of where you can, where you can apply those trades seems like pretty stable employment, uh, going forward in the long run. So better, better, better at Facebook, I guess, than in the CIA. Um, cause at least it's a, at least it's voluntary employment. The final thing I want to touch on with this article, um, have to take a little pause to, to regather my thoughts on it is the idea of that public private partnership of some kind. Um, you know, typically if it's government run, right. Government running the private interest, uh, we would liken that to fascism and that's fine. That still seems fair to me. Um, but at the same time, like, where does, where does that line get drawn? And it gets drawn in different places for different people, right? Like how do, how do we as anarchists, as libertarians operating within this crony capitalist economic structure, make that delineating line between what is public and what is private, right? Because Facebook so close to the government, right? Might as well be state run according to most people, but they're not. Right. Amazon, you know, running, running the CIA web servers on AWS might as well be the government, but they're not. Uh, same with Google, right? So, so close to the state uh, that they might as well be, you know, a, a functioning arm of the government. And yet they're not. And so you go like, do we, do we, the anarchists, the libertarians, extend the same courtesy to these larger organizations these crony capitalists as we would to, you know, smaller businesses. And if so, like, and if not, I should say, then at what, at what size does it matter? Right. And I've had, I've had private conversations with other individuals and I go like, well, as soon as you incorporate, right. As, as soon as you get your permission slip from the state to exist, you are no longer protected by the non-aggression principle and the free market axioms there within, you know, whatever. And so it's like, okay, so any, so you're okay then, right, with, with violence against private companies, uh, as long as they're incorporated, but not against, you know, the, like the mom and 
mom and pop, right? Because the, the likelihood is they have a business license from their local municipality as well to operate. Like, you know, who's protected at that point? And the answer is basically no one because we operate, you know, we, we operate within under the under that structure, whether we like it or not. Uh, but when when the real anarchists, the, the anarcho-communists, right, and Antifa decide to ride in the streets and throw Molotov cocktails through the windows of a Starbucks, we get all up in arms because they are our enemies and we need to protect private interest and private businesses and private property owners and all this other stuff. Uh, but why, right? Uh, several years ago, uh, Thaddeus Russell was doing an interview after attending the Liberty Forum here in New Hampshire, or, you know, did an interview, attended the Liberty Forum, did an interview, and at some point, you know, there he, he got involved with some of the libertarians at the forum. And in the elevator, you know, smoking, I forget the exact conversation, but it was like, are you okay smoking weed in the elevator of the hotel? Right, and the answer was like, well, no, because this is private property and the private property owner sets the rules and we must abide the private property owner's rules as good libertarians must do. And Thaddeus Russell made the point, was like, why? You know, this is, this is not private. This is a public, you know, this, this hotel is incorporated under the guise they get, they, they pay their protection money to the state. They are part of the state in that form or fashion. They've, in, they've incorporated and therefore, they are not private anymore. They are, they are some uh, conglomeration or amalgamation of public and private, you know, and, and thus, under the same principles, you know, you owe no allegiance to them to follow their rules because they are, they are actively paying the government, you know, of which you oppose protection money to protect them. And therefore, they are not on your side. They are not private property owners uh, it, under, that, under this current system. But then who is, right? How do, how do you delineate that? And it's, it's difficult to find a line. And if everyone's line is going to be different, well, then, it's, then, then we're talking about a matter of opinion, right? We're talking about someplace on the scale, you know, on the balancing line of, of where it counts. Um, and without a, a hard, fast rule, right, then, it, then, it, then, then, then it's total chaos, not even anarchy, just chaos, you know, the, the private conversation that I had was, you know, like, it's, it's okay to shoplift from the supermarket. And the only reason I don't shoplift from the supermarket uh, is because of the consequences involved. Not the morality, but the consequences, right? Like, I know that if I get caught shopping there, I won't be allowed back in there again. And then uh, I will have to find a new, new, uh, new source of my sustenance because I can no longer get my food there. Uh, I'm going, well, all right. But, you know, so... In my mind, right, that dude is dangerous because at what point does, am I no longer on the same line as he is, right? At what point, you know, am I a member of the state, right? Uh, when I, you know, uh, uh, man, has it been that long? Last year, early last year, 2021, right? I was trying to get my side hustle up and running. And so I paid the hundred bucks to get a, to get an LLC from the state of New Hampshire, like, why? Well, because the business I was entering was going to be fucking dangerous, and I wanted some protections uh, of, you know, of the legal kind. And as long as I'm going to operate within that state, and as long as there's no other uh, source of protection, you know, against frivolous lawsuits or, or people getting injured, right, I wanted, I, I wanted that separation, right? The, you know, 
keep keep the family separate from the business, keep the assets separate because why why come after my family for the negligence of somebody else kind of a thing. I went, all right, well, it's only a hundred bucks, right? I I I can afford that. That's no no harm, no foul. So now that now that I have incorporated a business, right, it's now it's now okay to steal from that business. Right? If I didn't incorporate, the state would come after me, potentially. So what am I to do? Who am I to appease? Right? The the guy with the one gun or the state with the many guns. And with that thinking, right, I don't I don't begrudge business owners uh, for for seeking that legal line of protection. Right? It's they're not activists. Right? This 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 business was not an activist endeavor. This was a you know, get some more money to secure my future and the future of my family endeavor. Uh, I, you know, obviously didn't pan out, but that's, that was the intent, right? That was the goal. I should say the intent is clear. That was the goal. Uh, so I don't begrudge business owners because they're, they're not getting involved to like stick it to the man. They're getting involved to make money. Right. And if they're going to get harassed, you know, if, if you set up shop and the first person that shows up is, you know, the, the local, local uh, government agency to tell you that, you know, you don't have, you did not get the proper permission slip and the license to this and the, the guns of government are going to come down upon you and fine you thousands of dollars per day for your activities. And that could have all been avoided for a uh, hundred bucks, right? Why get mad at them? They didn't form the system. They, their goal isn't even to fight the system. If you want to fight the system, just be rest assured. That's why there's a lot of broke ass libertarians uh, there's there's no profit in fighting the system. It is all cost. You have to do it as a hobby, as an expense, as an expensive hobby, right? You, if you want if you want to make some money, you're gonna have to make enough money to fund the goddamn hobby of taking on the state, right? If you want to get good at like military tactics and fighting strategic battles in suburbia, right? Guess what? You have to train after work. You have to train after work, and you have to spend your disposable income to get the tools necessary to train. Right? The government, on the other hand, pays people to train. Right? They've got the advantage. They've stolen your money to pay somebody else to train to, to enslave you. And you have to, and you have to do, go above and beyond right, to defend yourself against that encroachment or, or remove yourself from those bonds of slavery. The, the, the game is stacked. It's rigged against you. And that's if you're that's if you're an activist, right, or an anti-government or an anti-war, whatever you want to call yourself, individual. You you have to go above and beyond, and business owners don't, uh, or, or they don't have to. And in my in my opinion, again, I don't I don't fault them for not, right? They they want to make money, they don't care. Keep your head down, pay your filthy, whether it's the local mob, the local gang, the local mafia, or the local state, right? Just leave me alone. I'll give you your cut. And you let me keep the rest. And at some point, if the if the you know the mob, the gang, the government, the you know the mafia oversteps and tries to take too much, well, then they either close the business or move out of the area or become an activist at that time. So Facebook, Google, Twitter, all these larger social media, you know, close close to the government arm as you can get. Right, the goal was set out simply right to to make as much goddamn money as possible. Uh, for the owners, for the st- stockholders, for the shareholders, for the board of directors, right? That's the goal. 
It's not an activist thing. You, if you want the activist stuff, it's decentralized. There's a fraction of the amount of people on there. The content's not as good. It's clunky. It's harder to use, right? It, it's like not as feature rich as Facebook. Yeah, but but you can go use you can go use it. It's available to you. So with those goals set out for these organizations to just get get as rich as fucking possible, right? And and they can do so by you know paying a little bit more to the state in order to allow them to exist, right? Then that's what they're going to do. That's that's an that is in alignment with their stated goal, right? And us, you know, I I would argue the case, uh, maybe not so strongly, that that can also be the goal of the individualist anarchist, right? The Sternerites, you know, with, with all the spooks in the world, uh, is that the best way, you know, the, the best way to maximize your individual freedom and liberty is to join the government, right? Because who gets away with more shit, right? If you, if you wanted the ability to do whatever the fuck you wanted to do in the world, free of repercussions, free of condemnation, free of, you know, just absolute total freedom to do what you want, be who you want to be, do what you want to do. Uh, I would, I would argue that it's those in the highest levels of power within the state or the deep state, right? Like those guys get away with everything, even the bad stuff. They get away with the bad stuff, but they can do all the good stuff they want to do too, Right. It's uh, even, you know, there's like uh, petty crimes or whatever is just uh, only for the poor, right? If you're rich enough, you can park wherever the hell you want, right? It just costs a little bit more. Okay, so you got a $100 parking ticket, right? You pay the parking ticket, park wherever the fuck you want. You know, it's a tax on the poor. So if you want to, if, if you want to have the most freedom, right, you either get into those positions of power or make enough money to pay for those freedoms, and in, in my mind, if that's the, the sole objective of the individualist anarchist, right, to, to uh, maximize their own person, their own self-worth, their own self-value, just maximize individual freedom and liberty with, without regard for anybody else, well, then that's how you do it. And so in some, in some context, right, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, for, for as many times as he's been subpoenaed to Congress, right, probably has a lot more fucking freedom and liberty than you can probably do what he wants, go wherever he wants, you know, have whatever he wants, right? Like that dude's got, and right. If it comes down to like, well, he's, you know, he's beholden to Facebook or meta or whatever it is, right? Like, no, he's not, you know? So what if his value is tied up in the stock value of, of whatever, Right, you you cash that out slowly enough, and you still have billions upon billions of dollars to live whatever life you want. Right, they're they're not hurting for funds; they're not hurting for money. It's not like if they sold out all their stock, they'd be in poverty and be lying up at the next job fair to get a job at McDonald's flipping burgers for whatever it is in your area that they're flipping burgers for. Right, they they can live well forever because they have, they have made enough money to do so, and if paying the state you know, the state's share, right, to allow that to happen, uh, good on them, right? That's what the individualist anarchist would do, in my opinion, because that's maximum liberty, that's maximum freedom, that's maximum wealth, uh, but not an activist, right? Not the goal. 
But imagine what you could do with all that. Imagine if you waited till later in life to be an activist or to fund activism, right? You'd have all that money just stockpiled up, you know, from, from, sta- from state-sponsored uh, endeavors, whatever. But who cares, right? And you, you can use it for good later. Buy Bitcoin with it. Buy gold, right? Get out of Federal Reserve notes, all that fun stuff. So, when it, so in, my, in my opinion, back to the original point, uh, when it comes to big companies, you know, as long as they're private, as long as, you can, as long as you can choose to voluntarily interact with them or not, I don't care how big they are. I don't care how they got there. Uh, I will still consider that to be a private entity, right? And if it takes a little bit of work to recuse yourself from using those services, like some chick, some, you know, um, journal, quote unquote journalist tried to do it, going a whole week without using the big five, like Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, and whatever, right? But the, those things are so integrated into the daily lives of everybody that it seems ubiquitous that you're going to be using some of those services in some form or fashion throughout the week or whatever. Um, but you can get away from it. And when you get away from it, life kind of gets difficult and sucks. If you're used to, you know, the, the modern way of living, you know, modern technology, uh, you know, modern conveniences, right? So you benefit. You, you benefit from using these companies. You can get away from it. It's difficult, but it can be done. And if that's what you choose to do, then go do it. And with that in mind, right, you can't say that, you, you can't say that it's being forced upon you, that it's government mandated that you use these things. And so for me... Uh, as long as it's not mandated or g- imposed by the state in some form or fashion, um, I, I personally consider it to be private uh, and act accordingly. But I also understand that, goddamn, they're getting so close, right, to just being an arm of the state, you know, like that it's, it, I, I respect those who believe or think that way. Right? If, if you think Facebook is part of the state, fine, think that way, act accordingly. Right, but if you if you think Facebook is part of the state, and you act accordingly by throwing Molotovs through the window at Facebook, right? It's hard to morally say that the other anarchists throwing Molotovs through the windows of Starbucks are not acting accordingly, right? Because now we're on the now we're on the spectrum, now we're on the scale, and they're just further down on one side than you are, right? Because in their mind, it's all part of the state, and. And if you also think that at the higher levels, you have to extend that down, you know, and respect other people's positions. It's like the, the single issue voters, right? Or the, the yeah, but libertarian. Oh, yeah, we can, we can get rid of the state, but in these areas, right, we still need something, right? Because now we're just talking about scale, right? The people that value the state to do other things just value it a little more than you, right? So unless you're willing to get rid of it all, Right, it's just you're talking about degrees of separation, um, and if you're going to say that Facebook is an arm of the state, and that monetizing Facebook is a okay because of how close they are to the government, uh, it extends downward as well to the, to the Starbucks, to any private industry, to any private business, to the mom and pop shop, right? The 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 the, the Korean convenience store, right? They got their license, they pay this, they pay their taxes to the state, right? Why not take them out in a riot? If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. And we're talking about degrees and scale. Well, then you got to allow it. So I, I personally prefer to just cut that off at the source and say if it's voluntary, it's voluntary. And if it's state mandated, well, then burn it down. 
moving on. Speaking of the difference between private and public, here's the next headline. Uh, private versus government health insurance, they are not the same. Uh, from the Mises Wire. Insurance is a market institution, i.e. it emerged through voluntary exchange aiming at satisfying the needs of the parties involved. Private health insurance should not be mistaken for public health insurance, which constitutes an element of state's social policy. They differ to such a great extent that one can even claim that the latter is a contradiction of the former. This essay will show the most notable differences between them. Uh, before we get into that, I will say a couple things about this first paragraph right off the bat. Uh, whereas insurance may be a market institution, the fact that much insurance is mandated uh, by law, right? You know, car insurance uh, being, you know, the, the, the most prominent one uh, in most cases, not here in New Hampshire, but in most cases, uh, that, it, that in that case, it ceases to be a market institution and becomes a government-imposed monopoly, um, and I will also make the distinction private health insurance should not be mistaken for public health insurance. And health insurance should not be mistaken for health care, right? Oh, my goodness, how will I get my medicine? Uh, the answer is you go to the doctor and you, you pay what the doctor asks if you're uninsured. And if it's too much, well, sucks to be you. But that's, that is a conversation for another time because that whole marketplace uh, is corrupted and skewed because of the government involvement in the insurance game. Back into the article. The main differences. Firstly, insurance companies make use of advanced economic calculation, which uses the calculus of probability to estimate the risk and establish appropriate premiums for particular at-risk groups. People of a lower health risk will pay lower premiums as opposed to the ones of a higher health risk. Moreover, not everybody can be insured. Differentiation of contributions and insurance coverage, as well as exclusions and limitations, are to ensure that the cost incurred by the insurance companies are in an adequate relation to the premiums gained and invested. The cooperation between the actual and the underwriting department enables such risk management, which in turn enables obtaining profits. Meanwhile, in the case of the so-called public insurance, there is no risk calculation, selection, or classification. All the insured pay an obligatory contribution which is not related to a real insurance risk. It can be uniform or dependent on one's income. Public institutions responsible for financing access to the health system do not have to fear that the insured party might leave the company. As a result, the problem of moral hazard is much more visible in public health programs, especially if the authorities plead the so-called citizen's right to health care. Moral hazard. See the difference right there. Fucking difference between insurance and healthcare. Uh, moral hazard is a situation in which an entity does not incur the cost of their activities despite obtaining additional benefits. In the case of public health insurance, it is charging of a relatively lower contribution or the non-existence of the possibility of refusal. Thus, the entity can get preferential conditions and the additional costs are incurred by all the other people insured which sooner or later leads to the problems with medical service accessibility. Secondly, in the case of private health insurance, it is usually not known who is going to need medical services. The insurance companies can establish that, for example, out of 1 million people, half of a percent will contract a particular disease, but not who it will be. In turn, in the case of public insurance, next to such cases, there is also a known number of people who are already ill, Therefore, there's no risk but certainty. 
Some people, uh, some believe that private insurance is only good for the young and the healthy. However, insurance companies are about adequate risk assessment for particular groups, classes. Thus, it is possible to calculate premiums corresponding to lower and higher health risks. It does not mean, though, that insurance companies will automatically accept everybody's application, but it should not be assumed that a person with health issues will not be insured at all. Accepting all applications might destabilize a given insurance program and lead to problems with financing access to medical services for other customers, hence the importance of risk assessment for insurance companies. Thirdly, apart from financing access to a range of medical services, insurance companies invest a part of the contributions. Thus, the supply of savings available in the market increases, making it easier for entrepreneurs to obtain capital indispensable for creating more effective production. Meanwhile, the contributions to public insurance are consumed by the insured immediately. Thus, the insurance market contributes to the increasing of savings supply and their adequate allocation in the economy, while public insurance constitutes income redistribution. Mandatory transfer funds between particular groups of the insured is not a source of investment and does not lead to the increase of production efficiency. Fourthly, the limitations imposed in the agreement enable a more rational consumption of medical services. They concern, among other things, the time span or range of such insurance. Also, the insurance does not cover all possible occurrences due to a lack of possibility to assess the risk. Akron's wrote, from a lack of of sufficient data or medical knowledge, for instance, lack of sufficient information and knowledge on the development of a given illness makes it impossible to assess the cost of treatment which translates into significant difficulties in assessing the contribution because it is now known, uh, not known, whether it is adequate to the given risks. It is also worth mentioning that a rational consumption of such services should not be associated with their rationing, which is characteristic of public programs. Rationality of consumption means that before deciding to buy insurance, a customer analyzes its limitations, price, etc., They also compare it with a competitive offer of other insurance companies or alternative solutions, such as medical subscription prices or the cost of direct medical services. Insurance companies also care about having conscious customers who do understand both the advantages and limitations of the products. It contributes to the development of appropriate customer attitudes. Lack of such limitations would quickly result in an increased demand for medical services available thanks to private insurance, which result in different forms of their rationing by insurance companies wanting to avoid an increase of contributions or prices. Additionally, apart from the insurance, if the market is not subject to any strong regulations, there are many other alternative forms of financing access to medical services in the institutions which offer them. Uh, Medical change, charities, direct payments. Therefore, lack of insurance does not mean a complete lack of possibilities to use medical services. Public insurance or state non-market solutions do not grant a person who needs medical services any choice between competing public providers. The person's situation worsens significantly when they cannot use those services with public insurance. For such people, private insurance or other private financial institutions offering medical services are the only option. Fifthly, private risk assessment in market insurance translates into higher motivation to take care of one's health. A potential insured party may be encouraged to lose weight or quit smoking by the prospect of paying lower contributions. People leading a healthy lifestyle may in turn be offered more favorable conditions, which can encourage others to change their diets as well. The insurance companies may also employ a range of incentives aimed at the customer's offerings, premium decrease if they score a sufficient number of points in a medical survey. 
Meanwhile, the motivation to take care of one's health is lowered when it comes to public health insurance due to the lack of risk assessment. The assumption is that everybody should have equal access to the health system, and the failure to lead a healthy lifestyle should not exclude or limit anybody. Sixthly, in the market conditions, there are mechanisms which contribute to the cost reduction and increase the quality of medical services, which in the case of public insurance does not have to be certain and often leads to the cost expenditure increases and decreases the quality of service. Insurance companies would be interested in the best risk assessment possible, thanks to which they can offer premiums, which would best correspond to the risk posed by potential insurance parties. What is also significant is the quality of the service, which prompts insurance companies to search for appropriate providers of such services or create their own chains. Competitive processes effectively maintain costs on a low level, ensuring the profits assumed. In turn, in the case of public insurance, the competitive processes are replaced with mandatory contributions and a range of regulations conditioning the operating rules of the public health system. In conclusion, the differences described above show the so-called public state insurance functions are based on extremely different assumptions than private insurances, and besides the name, they have no common characteristics. The former is inherently related to interventionism. The latter results from the bottom-up market process. Because of those differences, it is not possible to connect those two types of insurances. Any additional interference in the health insurance market brings insurance firms closer and closer to fulfilling their redistributive function regarding financing the access to medical services. The so-called public state health insurances, being an element of the state's policy, are not insurances in the real world's meaning. They never have been and never will be. Just like money is a market institution and only marking conditions may dutifully it's duly fulfill its function. Uh, end of the article. So, not bad there. The, o- the only comment that I care to make um, is I think that within the anarchist libertarian conversation, too much uh, insurance is brought up way too much as a solution to like the world's problems. Right? Oh, how will you solve this? Right? And the answer is, oh, we'll, we'll just have insurance for that. Right? How will we get this done? Well, you just you subscribe to the insurance for that. You know, you, you, you pay the company your insurance premium and they bring the other guy to justice. Right? You, you, you can take care of that through insurance. And on a personal level, um, I'd, I'll, ma- I'll make the case and then I'll, the only rebuttal that I'll accept is that's not really what they're offering. And so for me personally, I don't, I don't like the insurance model because in my mind, insurance companies or the insurance model itself uh, is in direct opposition to every other capitalistic institution insofar as when I buy goods and services from any other organization I get the goods and services provided to me, right? I buy, I buy a subscription to electricity and electricity is delivered to my home. Uh, I go to a masseuse. I pay for a masseuse. I pay for a massage and I get the massage. I go to the supermarket. I buy a banana and I am handed a banana, but with insurance, right? I pay into this premium. I pay into this account on the off chance that something nefarious should befall me at some point later in the future, right? And then the insurance company will do their best 
to not provide the service, right? And to me, that's backwards, right? It's, it's, the only, it's the only business that I can think of. Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the only business I can think of where the only way to achieve profitability is to not provide the service you were hired to provide, right? Every place else, voluntary trade of goods and services, win-win situation, one, both sides profit in some form or fashion, right? The, the, the supermarket gets my 59 cents and I get a banana. It's a win-win. Uh, but with insurance, the only way that they make money is not paying out all the premiums uh, that they can, right? Like it, someone loses in that, right? If, if, you pay in for a, if you pay into insurance for a decade and never need the service, right? Your money is gone, and you were provided nothing in return. And that money goes to somebody else who needs it because if everyone who filed the claim that was granted a claim, right, only got what they put in or less, right, then there would be no reason to have the insurance company, right? Like if, if you needed if you needed $1,000 for a medical procedure and your contribution was only 100 bucks, that $900 came from somewhere, and it has to come from someone who did not file a claim for theirs. There's no other way, right? Unless, you know, unless it's a Ponzi scheme where they're like investing in the, oh, they're investing in other things and that's how they pay out. Well, you could do that yourself, you know? So to me, it's, 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 a, back, it's a backwards fucking model for doing business. And the only, the only rebuttal to that that I will accept is that while you're not paying, the, you're not paying for the payout, you're not paying in to get the payout. You're paying in to get the peace of mind. And I go, all right. So there's sell. So the product you're buying is peace of mind. You're not buying anything, but peace. Of, you're buying like feel good smoke and mirrors, basically uh, with a placebo, right? Like I pay my insurance, so I don't have to worry. I go, okay, good. Then don't worry, right? If that's if that's if that's the value you're obtaining from that service, then fine, right? But I don't. I don't understand how peace of mind is going to be, you know, the, the fucking be all end all solution, uh, in a, in a libertarian or an anarchist society for everything. Right. I'll just get the insurance company to do it. I don't want to pay the insurance company because the, the best, the best case scenario, right. When, when buying insurance is that I never file a fucking claim. So the best thing that could happen is I lose all the money that I'm paying into it in premiums. And I can think of way better things to do with that money, right? Even, even if, right, putting that money into a private savings account, a medical savings account, right, privately, uh, so that I can tap into it later, right, even if that's the only other thing, because at least I'm getting the interest on that, right? At the end, if I never need to tap into that for, for its intended purpose, I get the money back plus the interest, Whereas the insurance company, I pay into it for as long as I pay into it. And the best case that the best case scenario is that I don't get any of my money back. Right. The worst case, you know, if I do have to file a claim, that means I've lost something. Right. My, my car was destroyed. My home was damaged. You know, I, I had a heart attack or something and needed fucking something bad has to happen to me. For some, for the for the insurance to be to turn into a net positive, and that seems wrong to me, 
Uh, that's where I'll wrap this up. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us. Anarchistexperience.com on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. I don't know which one of those is the page, which one is the group, but if you want to con- contribute show prep to the group, find the one that's the group and drop something in there. And if I like it, I will read yours as I did uh, DT's first story of the week today. And if you would like to contribute to this show financially, do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Peace.